Good morning, everyone. My name is Judith Sachs. I'm the Chief Academic Officer from Studiosity, and this is our first webinar for 2023. And what a beauty it is. But before I begin, I would like to acknowledge that I'm hosting this online conversation from the lands of the Camaragal people. I also acknowledge the traditional custodians of the various lands on which you all work today and the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people participating in this meeting and First Nations people across Canada and the Maori people of New Zealand. I pay my respects to elders past and present and celebrate the diversity of Aboriginal peoples and their ongoing cultures and connections to the lands and waters of New South Wales and elsewhere in Australia and across the broad expanses of Canada and New Zealand. I also want to specifically welcome our colleagues who are listening late at night in Canada and a little bit later in the morning from New Zealand. So I'd like to start off with a couple of observations. And uh, oh, before I do that, we have 1,672 people that have registered for the uh, webinar today, which is by far three times larger than any webinar that we've had before. So clearly this might be something that is uh, of interest to people in the sector. So I'd like to uh, make uh, a couple of comments, observations. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, chat uh, <clears throat> CPT was the word of 2023, or in fact, by December, it could be so old hat that people will think, uh, what was chat CTP? It's, all, it's yesterday's, who knows? Second point is every day, there is some mention about AI in, the gen in, in general and chat CPT uh, in the media feeds and social media sites. The first response two weeks ago was that of a moral panic. The end of universities as, as we know them was imminent. So some of this um, has been, this reactive heat has subsided now, and there is more informed and reflective debate on what this new technology means. This week, there are seven, several webinars already being run. So one point that I want to make that makes this, this webinar different from others, we are not talking about the technology of ChatCPT. We are talking about um, those, the impact that this has on learning and teaching and assessment. And that's what our focus will be today and identify what the opportunities are, but what some of the areas of, uh, areas of um, concern that people might have. So today's organized introduction, I'm nearly, nearly there. Uh, I'll ask each member of the panel questions that relate to their expertise and experience, and then questions will be taken from the audience. And at the end, I will try to bring it together in five minutes. But given that my training, original training was in anthropology and I was did work in ethnography, there are three questions that actually I realize guide how I navigate the world. And so I want the, the panel members to actually introduce themselves and reflect on from their discipline uh, these questions. First question in what's happening, what is happening here for this, what is happening for this issue to be relevant now? What's really happening? And what does it mean for universities and students? So if I can start with Julia, could you introduce yourselves and just make a response to those, um, those questions? Thank you, Judith. Um, it's, I'm delighted to be on uh, with, with everyone here today. This is such an important issue. So I'm president of Yorkville University, Canada's largest private university. My own background is in organizational behavior. So I have a natural fascination for the behavior of organizations and, and the people in it. Um, in terms of what's happening here, is, is this a profound assault on the academy or is this a natural evolution of um, the sort of the technological revolution that we've been experiencing forever? I do think it is profound, um, yet a, a, natural, a natural next step. Um, and I, for one, I'm, I'm excited about this, actually. I think the questions um, that ChatGPT and, and other forms of artificial intelligence um, present causes us to question much more deeply um, than I think we have in the past. What is the role of the faculty and what is it that we want students to learn? in terms of their knowledge, skills, and values? How do we facilitate that learning and how do we assess it? So I think this is gonna cause us all um, to reflect deeply and ensure we put in place uh, the very best learning opportunities for our students. And that's exactly what we have underway at Yorkville University right now. We've embraced some signature learning outcomes. 
we are going to be articulating signature learning pedagogies and signature approaches to assessment, uh, focusing on authentic assessment that we feel are going to support our students um, and prepare them uh, for this brave new world. Thank you. Giselle. Oh, kia ora koutou and uh, greetings from Aotearoa, New Zealand. Uh, I'm the Provost here at Massey University, Te Kuningeki Purihurua. And the, the context here, um, Judith and panellists and, and indeed guests, has been, I think, less one of moral panic and actually leaping to uh, thinking about what we need to do to keep ahead of this rapidly moving technology, whether it's ChatGPT or it's another kind of artificial intelligence. And I think uh, for those of us in institutions like universities, there's a couple of challenges. One is the, the immediate uh, semester starts in a matter of weeks. Uh, our assessment structures and rubrics are, are usually set. Um, how can we ensure that we're putting the right support and development opportunities around our faculty, our teaching staff to give them confidence? How can we communicate to our students in terms of what academic integrity means? And so many of us are quickly reviewing our policies around that. But I also think that there's a longer term piece that we need to get our heads around. And that's, you know, I'm putting here my historian's hat on. I'm trained as a historian. So from a disciplinary perspective, I think in Malcolm Gladwell's terms, this is a bit of a tipping point moment for universities. We really need to think hard about what we want students to learn, what teachers teach. And I would argue for much, much more emphasis on graduate attributes, skills, those higher order skills that we talk about all the time. And how do we really redesign assessment to speak to the acquisition of those skills rather than uh, content and a focus on information. And I know many of us have been on that journey for some time. So just a few quick thoughts from me, Judith. Kia ora. Thank you. Theo, I'm, I'm going around the screen. So Rowena, you're last for no other reason, except I'm going clockwise. Thanks, Judith. And uh, it's a real pleasure to be joining this uh, symposium from Darawal country. And I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the lands on which the University of Wollongong is situated and pay my respects to uh, elders past, present and emerging, and also pay my respects to any First Nations uh, colleagues who are joining us on this symposium. Um, I, I, I very much agree with Giselle, actually. So I think there's a sort of a short term set of measures that we are focused on because we're racing into term in Australia, uh, just like New Zealand. Um, and obviously what's happened now is an AI tool has come into general use, um, very wide use, and therefore we want to make sure we have uh, appropriate measures in place to protect academic integrity. And there are challenges there, there's no question about it, because um, we, you know, there's a longer term piece we need to do around uh, looking at assessment redesign, and we're just not gonna be able to do that in a very short uh, pace, uh, pace of time. Uh, but I also agree with Giselle that it's a much longer term play here, which is very exciting and very interesting. I think all of us on the call and many, um, many uh, attending the, the symposium today, our institutions have a common mission, which is to uh, prepare and empower students for their futures. Uh, and we've known for many years that the future is going to be profoundly reshaped by AI and automation technologies. And so that's been pretty well signposted, actually. Um, and so this is a good example of how we have to get on with the business of reshaping our higher education offerings uh, to better prepare our students for the future. So I, I'm sure we're going to get into these, these discussions today. But um, for me, it's it's less of a panic. I just don't think that's there's some short term things that we just need to put in place. It's more around it's a very exciting moment, actually, in higher education. There's lots of opportunity here. And I'm really looking forward to how we can get into realizing those opportunities for our students and support our staff to do that. Rowena. Hi, uh, uh, I'm coming from Noongar country uh, in, in Western Australia, Bulu, a place many of you would know as Perth. Uh, thinking about your questions, Judith, what is happening? I, I think uh, artificial intelligence has been lurking on the periphery for most unis for some time, but I think chat GPT has really been that tipping point. I think, I think someone's used that phrase already. It's really crossed a threshold that really forces us to look at this technology and really incorporate it into what we how, how we function as universities to our learning, teaching and our research. Um, what's really happening, I think that's an interesting ethnographic question, uh, I think I, I, I think I read a really fantastic post by uh, Jason Lodge from UQ on LinkedIn, and he pointed to this fantastic paper um, 
which talked about the fact that um, we we tend we we really need to start distinguishing better between learning that is actual learning that's happened and performance. And we've historically assessed students via artifacts, essays, reports, etc., through which we infer that learning has actually happened. And what we're now seeing with ChatGPT is a tool that can replicate the artifact pretty successfully. So we're really going to need to step up our assessment approaches to better assess learning itself and not just the artifact. Um, We really need to try and work harder to better observe learning, support learning and assess the learning process and not just products, you know, which which are not really going to be a good proxy for that process anymore. So I think what's happening here is that we're really confronting our kind of historical use of the artefact as a form of assessment, and we might see that in in the longer term start to sort of fade away as a form of assessment. Um, What does it mean for universities and students? I think... um, I think I'm hearing lots of people start to talk about collaborative intelligence, which is the recognition that the future will involve humans and machines working together, you know, the intersection of human learning and machine learning. And so I think this is really an opportunity for universities to focus on those really uniquely human skills that we need to develop more powerfully in students, empathy, communication, teamwork, problem identification and problem solving. You know, it's really our opportunity to to really um, lift those up and elevate those in the curriculum and the way we teach and assess. Great, great start. Thank you. There are already a number of questions, just just a couple of short ones. Giselle, could you please um, indicate to people the title of the Malcolm Gladwell book? Oh, it's, uh, it's tipping, point. tipping point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's an it's an oldie but a goodie, as they say. I can't I can't remember the date of publication, but mm-hmm. it, that term is often used just to signify a, a moment of crisis and opportunity when we can really leverage uh, something that is new. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. And Julia, could you tell in, expand on what you mean by signature learning pedagogies? Yeah, so um, we'll beginning with the signature learning outcomes that we've articulated, and actually they reflect a lot of the uh, items that Rowena was listing there. So what is it we, we want our students to be able to know, um, do, and value? And then to be very thoughtful and creative about the learning experiences that we provide our students. So how do we facilitate their learning. This is all about becoming much more intentional and creative. And Rowena, I really liked what you were saying about the artifacts, right? I think we've used artifacts as a proxy for learning without really unpacking for the student. How do we set them up for success with deep learning? So a student hears, provide me with a paper on this topic rather than us deliberately breaking that task apart and giving student feedback at every step of the way. It's the same as when we assign students to do a project out in the local community. Do we teach them how to enter and exit the community professionally? Um, All the steps that need to be in place for them to maximize their learning from that. So I just don't think that we have been sufficiently thoughtful. We've made too many assumptions that when we assign work that all of this learning is going to occur. So I think we have to become much more specific about, again, what we want our students to know, do and value. Be very creative, very deliberate about how we facilitate their learning and then make sure that the assessment is valid. You know, universities are full of researchers that are supposed to know about sort of evidence-based decision-making. And I'm not convinced that we bring the same level of sophistication to assessing our students and their learning as we do to the other aspects of our scholarly work. Um, The the other point I just wanted to quickly make, because I was absolutely fascinated to read this week that both Elsevier and Springer Nature have considered this question. Um, It it seems that a number of faculty were submitting papers and listing ChatGPT as a co-author, and they have ruled that that's not acceptable um, because ChatGPT or artificial intelligence can't be held accountable for the quality of the work, but that the use of ChatGPT as a a tool, as a research tool, um, must be acknowledged. And, And I was really fascinated 
um, by that. I think that can that can give us some comfort, but to suggest, I think one of the really important skills students are going to have to learn is to be critical of what they read, um, to perhaps bring forward more editorial skills of looking at what has ChatGPT produced if they had a question. And I think that it could share with them some structure, some interesting information, but then they need to critically assess that um, so that they could bring that work forward and then be, you know, really develop their skills of information literacy to be a savvy consumer of information. Um, so again, I, I think we've had academics, um, people working in our teaching centers, educational developers and instructional designers asking these questions forever. And I just, we can't ignore them any longer. And that's why I'm, I'm excited about this. It's an opportunity to get really serious about student learning and to understand our own role in facilitating and assessing that. There's a question here for you, Rowena, from Carolyn Bernie Porter, and it goes like this. Many of the, in inverted commas, alternative assignments that are proposed as a way of dealing with chat GPT, oral exams, projects with multi-step components, are not feasible in large classes. For those without sufficient competence support from teaching assistants and or part-time faculty and others who do not have much time. In addition, designing these new alternatives is time consuming, especially for part-time faculty and other lower paid marginalized faculty. How do we balance this with deep learning and higher order thinking that we ideally want students to do in order to generally learn? And then I might get your response uh, to that, um, Theo, because you're interested in short-term and long-term. That is, I, I'm so glad you posed that question. That is an absolutely fantastic question because I really actually think it gets to the crux of the, the issue. Um, for some time, particularly since um, contract cheating really came to the fore as an academic integrity issue, um, there's been a really intensive focus in universities on assessment security. And within our current structures where in every single unit, we have probably at least three assessment points at most universities. Staff put an enormous amount of work into securing every single assessment point in a unit, every single assessment point in a course. And increasingly, that's becoming unsustainable. Um, I look at some of the advice that's given to academic staff for how to secure assessment tasks, and I, and I think it's unsustainable. And we know that a lot of that is not really explicitly recognised in things like workload models. For some time, a lot of educational researchers and academic integrity researchers have been pointing to programmatic assessment <laughs> as a really useful way to kind of step out of this unsustainable system that this kind of rod we're making for our own back, if you like, around assessment security. And so programmatic assessment really entails fewer summative assessment points. Those assessment points that you do have in a course are highly authentic and invested with lots of resources, really high quality valid uh, assessment. And then all your other resources that would typically go into lots of other summative assessment points go into actual teaching practice, formative feedback, developmental feedback for students. Um, there's some really interesting models of this happening around the world. I'm not aware of anywhere where it's really yet happening at scale. I think because the kind of structural inertia within universities makes it very difficult. But I'm sort of hopeful that this is a moment where we might actually really begin to seriously look at programmatic assessment. So because it would address all those issues that, that were raised in that very good question. Thanks, Rowena. Theo. Thanks, Judith. Uh, and just um, just before I pick up on this really interesting discussion that Rowena's kicked off, just to come back and, and add to what Julia was saying, it was quite interesting in the nature editorial was how there's not really just simply the issue of, of um, you know, the ethical, the ethical um, competence of chat GPT, uh, but also the fact that it doesn't actually write, it doesn't construct. So all it does is generate patterns, as the nature article puts it, editorial, all it does is generate patterns of words based on statistical associations. And that's why sometimes it generates these fantastic howlers, you know, when it, it produces these answers. Uh, so in that sense, you know, ChatGPT is not, it doesn't have the creative agency that a human has. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think this gets to, we're in an interesting moment around part of how we can support and empower our students for their futures is help them understand what can be expected of these AI tools 
what do these tools do and what do they not do? And, and I suspect one of the challenges that we have um, in terms of overall preparing the general population uh, for the future that awaits us is, is upskilling everybody to understand how to use AI in an ethically responsible way uh, and to get the best of AI, but also to understand the limitations of AI. So in fact, that's part of one of the challenges we probably all face, which is how we provide that foundational knowledge. Uh, in terms of, I think Rowena raised a really interesting point around, look, it's, a, it's an opportunity for us to take a step back and think about assessment in a more deliberative way at a course level or programmatic level. Um, and, and this is where, I, I mean, I personally think that, you know, uni certainly universities and my university, many universities are full of colleagues who are really passionate around learning and teaching, really committed to doing the best for their students. Uh, we all have to recognize that uh, certainly in Australia and New Zealand and many other countries, our academic colleagues have just been through a couple of really challenging years where we've asked a lot of them. Many have upskilled, many have transformed what they've delivered uh, through uh, integration of digital technologies. Uh, we've kept on. A lot of that digital transformation has been locked in and is now obviously improving the experience of students. And now with ChatGGP, it's, it's the, there's probably a sense that many academics are probably breathing a bit of a sigh of, oh my gosh, now again, we have to lean in and once again, redesign what we do. And so I think as, um, as academic leaders, we have to recognize the burden that's now falling on academic labor and support our, and support our staff and be really empathetic in, in that. Uh, and at the same time, it is an exciting moment. And perhaps it's thinking about things de deliberatively as Rune is saying, so how can we think about the mix? Where do we where do we put the emphasis on protecting academic integrity? But where else do we put the emphasis in terms of innovating, uh, particularly around authentic assessment? I mean, that's obviously been on the radar for ages. It's just it's quite difficult to do authentic assessment, and it's it's resource intensive. But thinking at a course level, where where at a course level we can assure the academic integrity of assessment of intended learning outcomes, and where we can do more creative stuff, more interesting stuff, perhaps in some respects. And so it's about the, the balance of things. And broadly speaking, it's it's probably the case. I know from my own experience going back decades, it's it was be, always been the case that we overassess, um, that we perhaps don't explain enough to students about the purpose of assessments. And, and so again, as part of this um very um genuine and, and engagement with students to help them understand why they're doing these assessments, how it helps them develop skills. And, and, our, and in that process ourselves, thinking about, you know, where can we in a, in a in a resource efficient way, uh, protect academic integrity, but also uh, do some creative stuff that leverages the opportunities that AI provide. Understanding what we can expect from AI and what we cannot expect from AI. Thank you. Can we just stick on this uh, assessment piece because there's a question here from Carrie Chessels. She she asked, "Do you think faculty will increasingly rely on exams?" rather than invest the effort and time to develop a greater focus on authentic assessment practices, uh, assessment as for and learning of. I'll open that up to anyone. I, I might kick off briefly if that's okay. Um, I, I think I, I can see that in the short term, um, in some discipline areas, they might need to fall back temporarily on exams while they think this through. Um, but I actually think um, I actually think there is a desire among all the staff I've talked to to move towards more authentic assessment rather than back away from it and back towards exams. So my sense is that that that's not a significant risk. Um, I also think just the the optics of, of falling back to exams. I mean, I think there's already a lot of discourse out there globally around the ongoing relevance of universities. I just think. Sorry, do we want to remain relevant? Um, I think um, the I think exams, you know, are play a role in us um, in us, you know, in our decisions. I think around um, how to position ourselves is really contemporary and relevant and speaking to what's happening in the world. Anyone else want to respond to that question, Giselle? Um, kia ora, uh, Judith. Yeah, just uh, two points. Uh, I mean, just going back to Rowena's comment about the complementarity between human skills and robots and uh, the importance of then recognising uh, teaching and designing a test assessment uh, around metacognitive skills. And uh, in the um, school curriculum here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, students have been encouraged for many years 
to engage in that kind of reflective practice in terms of how they're learning, what they're learning. And I think that we need to really push that further. Um, the second point is around the programmatic assessment, authentic assessment and so on. Um, yes, in the past, we've placed too much emphasis on the stacking of uh, points or grades within a course or a unit. And you know, moving to pass-fail systems, we have disciplines here at my university that offers a pass-fail approach, which actually focuses you know, much, much less on the acquisition of grades and much more on the, the formative process mm -hmm. of learning. So I think, I think we've got to really look in the mirror and ask ourselves some hard questions about that. But to your question, Judith, about the um, assessment piece and, and how we need to, to keep um, amending what we do and reflecting on how that is actually you know, preparing our students for the world beyond university. I mean, the reality is that AI is with us in every aspect of our lives. So um, I think there's a huge challenge for universities globally to really think about what the purpose of education is. And it will impact research, as you've said, Julia. So actually adopting that kind of critical, skeptical, self-reflective um, lens and take that approach. I think that's the best gift that we can give our students. Now, the impact that that has then on our teachers, short term, I mentioned, you know, a couple of weeks runway to the start of semester one, Exams seem like an easy option to go back to, but it's, it, and I do say go back, because I think we made great strides forward, particularly those of us who have uh, been distance providers for a long, long time, like my university. Uh, I think exams have their place, absolutely, but let's not lose the momentum and the innovation that we have turned ourselves inside out for over the last three years. And let's keep challenging ourselves. You know, let's take that challenge that we push to our students, which is to challenge ourselves, to be a, a, a learning community and to really leverage this moment to redefine what we mean by university. So that as you say, Rowena, we are relevant because there are those big questions that are being asked out there at the moment. Hilda. Julia. Yeah, thank you. Um, so yeah, I agree with all of these points. I think it's interesting if we reflect on Bloom's taxonomy, right? There's there's some things we just need our students to know, to be considered competent in a particular discipline or field, like facts that they don't have to look at their phone for, okay. but that just simply come to mind. And I think if you look at the flipped classroom model, then some quizzing can kind of quickly assess, do they have the basics? Um, then they can you know, move on and, and do more, um, complicated work and collaborative work um, in in class. I think one of the one of the opportunities that Yorkville has to to excel in that regard is that we're committed to very small classes. Most of our classes are around 20 students. So there is the opportunity for faculty to facilitate learning in, in classrooms that if you had two or 300 students, for example, uh, wouldn't be possible. But, it, but in classrooms, I'm excited to see us use more of debate um, and presentations. So if a student has worked on a paper, then they present it and they can answer questions about it that can help assess to what extent the student really understands, um, you know, the various aspects that they've written about. So I think that that's important. The other thing is if you think of Boyer's forms of scholarship, my understanding of ChatGPT is that what it's really doing, you might think of the scholarship of integration. It's it's sort of reading those patterns of words um, that have been made available to it. Now it's interesting, it doesn't have access as, as I understand it sort of behind the firewall of, of university libraries. It has to be open access or sort of deliberately fed these patterns. So that scholarship of, of integration, but scholarship of discovery, scholarship of application, that's where we can involve our students in collecting data or applying something to their own lived experience. And I might add, right in the first person. Um, I, I read recently that what ChatGPT is really good at doing is mimicking the third person writing that makes it sound like no human was involved. I think the challenge for all of us is how do we embrace our humanity, have our students embrace their humanity in the learning process and and apply what they're learning to their own lives. And I, I think that's some of the answer and that's what we can create that learning context and that assessment context 
in the classroom and beyond exams that can only test to a, to a certain extent. Thank you. Theo, you've got your hand up. Yeah, hi. Um, uh, so uh, a couple of things, actually. Um, I mean, one is I mean, obviously really terrific opportunities if you can um, teach in small classroom settings. This is fabulous. You can do all sorts of things. I think the challenge in some universities in Australia would be one of them is that we've got many classes that are very large. There's hundreds of students. And so then I think this is the challenge because the academic staff are obviously having just to manage a very large workload. And now they're facing, obviously, the, um, pardon me, they're now they're facing um, the challenge of uh, having to innovate. Um, so there was a good point in the chat of, about how one of the things that AI also will help with, of course, uh, and automation is helping academics uh, manage that very large workload. So as we're focusing on chat GPT over here, and we're really concerned around its potential impact on academic integrity, uh, there, there are some lateral benefits that can be realized quite quickly around how we can generate tools that enable academics to, uh, to support very large numbers of students. And in fact, it's something that we're doing in many other uh, universities are probably doing. So there's multiple applications in AI here that enable us to offer a personalized experience to students at scale. Uh, that's, and I think that's revolutionizing the kind of the behind the scenes uh, support that universities can provide to students. A couple of points I did want to make, by the way, around um, uh, both a drag on innovation and I think a driver of innovation. A drag of innovation is going to be, I, I strongly suspect, the accrediting bodies, certainly in the Australian context. And, and so these are, you know, understandable uh, professional bodies that do require uh, students to graduate with quite a lot of knowledge. They want that to be absolutely assured. And they, that could result in a push back towards more traditional forms of assessment. Um, and that's going to be, a comp, I think, a quite um, require quite a degree of effort by universities to work with professional bodies to enable us to continue to innovate uh, in assessment and assure accrediting bodies that students are graduating with necessary knowledge. So I think that's a piece of work that's going to be necessary for academic leaders working with our disciplinary colleagues. Um, the driver of innovation is going to be what happens next. Um, so interesting, the New York Times reporting on chat, uh, chat GPT, which is, um, that's all tech. So the stuff that was the, the, the tool that was launched in November uh, was, I believe, about one or two years old. Um, it's not actually the new tech. So uh, OpenAI was developing chat GPT-4, um, but they weren't ready to launch it and they rushed chat GPT 3.5 into market. Uh, so quite quickly, there's going to be a new version. Um, and of course, we've all read about the $10 billion investment in Microsoft in OpenAI. We're probably going to have ChatGPT version of it in, you know, uh, uh, integrated into my, Microsoft uh, suite of tools. Um, we know Google has declared code red, so they're going to be rushing the development of AI. So I anticipate in 23 and 24, we're going to see a whole range of new generative AI tools with increasing capacity. Um, Right now, I, to be honest, I don't know what, what have colleagues, I'm sure you've all tried it, but if you actually get GPT to write an essay, as I've done in my in my area, you can see quite quickly how it's been, it's it's not a very good essay. And I, I think the ability for us to detect um, uh, use of GPT, I think it's reasonable at the moment, but these tools will develop very quickly. So that's gonna drive innovation for us. Because basically, if we don't innovate, we're, we're going to be engaged in this race that we will lose between academic integrity and, and new, these new tools. So we have to go forward and embrace them. And that's where we get this kind of challenge of, for instance, you know, on the third to half of our courses, which are, are somehow subject to accreditation, I think we do need to work with accrediting bodies to make them understand that there is no choice but to go forward. Uh, but I think that's going to be a complicated and a quite... Um, timely net engagement with accrediting bodies to bring them on this journey. Thanks, thanks Theo, um, because Rowena also had a hand up. Thanks, um, I just wanted to, circling back to the, the question that kicked this off, which was around exams. I, I think there is one critical thing that, that if, if unis did go back to exams that they would miss. So that the, the use of exams in this context is really to try to prevent or prohibit the use of chat GPT, but, 
But if we do that as a strategy, students won't actually learn how to use it. And I think in the learning how to use it, we've talked about a lot of themes. We've talked about the importance of information literacies, critical literacies, et cetera, in the learning to use ChatGPT. But I think there's also a really significant ethical dimension to learning about how to use ChatGPT and its strengths and weaknesses and also its, its kind of threats. And I do think our students are kind of ready for that. I mean, I, I think our students are really attuned in now, I think, to the ethics of what they use and consume every day. They know where their coffee beans come from. You know, they know where their furniture comes from. They know where their clothing comes from. They're tuned into issues like fast fashion, single-use plastic. They're tuned into things like worker exploitation and other social justice issues. And I think I think students are therefore quite concerned about integrity in its broadest sense. And so I think there's, I think we do need to do better in universities at actually connecting students' concerns about integrity to how knowledge gets made and to how information gets generated. I think if we can connect those issues up, information and knowledge, to the broader social discourse around integrity, that that we will that will be an important step forward, I think, for us if we can do that. Thank you. Assessments come up quite a few times in terms of the, the questions. So I'm going to throw this one out by throw throw this to you, not throw it out, um, from kind of <laughs> Programmatic assessment, authentic assessment, assessment for learning, these are all good ideas that have been around for a long time, but based on recent discourse, we seem to be unsatisfied with the progress we've made in higher education towards these ideals. And the question is why, or can you explain why this has happened? Who wants to put their hand up for that one? Thanks, Rowena. Uh, for me, I think it's it's those structural challenges that I that I mentioned briefly earlier um, the way that we tend to take course learning learning outcomes and we unbundle them fragment them down into unit learning outcomes and the unit learning outcomes of the we then unbundle and fragment into assessment tasks and we the way that we kind of organize units of learning and courses of learning within universities is we, we still do that in quite a siloed way even though we try to engage in course level mapping of learning outcome development and course level planning of assessments once the semester gets underway units of learning are very much managed by a, a unit coordinator and we we tend to do the same thing not just with learning outcomes but with budgets with workloads etc and so I do think that tackling some of these bigger challenges around trying to move towards programmatic assessment authentic assessment all those good practices we've listed I think those things are constrained by some of those structural um, features of how universities just actually work day to day so I think we've got to tackle those at the same time we have to tackle the way financial flows work inside universities and we've got to tackle how we do workload allocation. Mm -hmm. There's another question here um, that is also an interesting one from Mark Israel. Assuming that students will use AI tools such as GPT, how do we develop students' understanding of what their responsibilities are with the integrity of what they include within an assignment? Mm -hmm. and, and Rowena, you might like to... Uh, 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 you know, this, this is your area of uh, specialisations. Do you want to make a start and then we'll get others to respond? Can I just get you to repeat the question again, Judith? Assuming that students will use AI tools such as GPT, how do we develop students' understandings of what their responsibilities are for the integrity of what they include within an assignment? Um, I think partnering with your libraries and academic skills team, I think, is a good place to start. These are teams that for many years have been teaching information literacies, have been teaching academic literacies. Uh, so I think embedding the development of those skills in the in the curriculum is critical, taking an educative approach to this, you know, teaching students um, what the strengths and weaknesses are of ChatGPT, how it can and can't be used as a tool, how it should and shouldn't be used in, as a tool in each discipline area because each discipline is different. So I think there, there are teams in your universities who can help you with this, and I think partnering across the institution is a, a good place to start there. Okay. Anybody else want to make a uh, I, I just offer a couple of... No, Julia put a hand up. So oh, Julia, sorry. Thanks. So, um, um, yeah, so some of our graduate programs, um, students learn asynchronously 
asynchronously. And so they spend a lot of time reading things and then posting their responses. Um, and, and one of the ideas that we're beginning to play with is the notion that they would co-annotate um, something that had been written in terms of challenging it and assessing it, um, working on it together. And I think that that would be a great opportunity for some kind of text that had been created from GPT. Um, I know that, and I've been watching in the chat, a lot of people are saying, but it, it's on a path and it will um, quickly and dramatically improve. And I certainly accept that point. But some of the challenges that I've read about it is it actually reflects the biases that are already embedded in a lot of information that's available on the internet. And, and so when, as an example, um, ChatGPT was asked to give advice to a faculty member who had a student who was struggling in their course. Once they asked the question as if the instructor was a male, and then they asked it again as if the instructor was a female. When ChatGPT thought the instructor was a man, the advice essentially was for him to just tell the student to pull up his socks and get on with it. When it was a female, um, the advice was to offer to meet in office hours to provide all of this, you know, sort of additional encouragement and empathetic response. So I just use that as one example to, again, make the point that it is imperfect. It reflects what's out there without judgment. It's not actually thinking. It's putting together patterns of words. And so I think by presenting our students or having them play with it and then together critiquing it. And again, that's back to that becoming a savvy consumer of things that are written. Um, I think just the recent pandemic has shown us how, how much under threat the academy is in terms of science and evidence. And, and we need all of our students to be equipped right, to, to be savvy consumers of, of information, to turn that into knowledge, to have confidence in what they know. Um, and so I think that there's so many things we can be doing. Um, and, and I um, ab absolutely um, agree with the points being made and all the resources that are available on our campuses to help with that. So both inside and outside the classroom. Giselle? And then we'll have... Um... Kia ora. Oh, kia ora. Thank you, Judith. Um, so I was just coming back to an earlier uh, comment. Um, we expect our academic faculty to be flying an aircraft while they're building it at the same time. We do that all the time. And uh, leaders like us expect our colleagues to spin on a dime. Uh, pivot is one of the most overused words in our language, I think, from the last couple of years. And I just want to pick up uh, Theo's observation from um, a couple of comments ago. Um, and it loops into the question that was asked about why doesn't authentic assessment take hold? Why doesn't program programmatic assessment stick? And it's because assessment is a part of a much more complex ecosystem. So I think it actually you know, it behooves those of us in leadership positions to cut through some of the bureaucracy that we've created for ourselves. We were liberated through COVID to be able to do this. And I suspect there's been a bit of a, a swing of the pendulum back to some of those processes, back to the sort of ritual and custom that we were comforted by. But actually, I think it's about making swift decisions, giving real clarity to our academic teaching colleagues and to students, and, and really thinking about how we have the responsibility as leaders to try and shield our teaching academics from the bureaucratic reign that they cope with every single day. So, um, you know, I'm constantly telling myself, yeah, that's a great idea, you know, to keep the university innovating, to keep us ahead. But then what is the impact on our teachers in the classroom? So I think authentic assessment um, uh, and the programmatic assessment and the other things that have been talked about here today, fabulous ideas. But I think the challenge is for us, how do we really start to, to lead? How can we speak directly to students about the nature of information and knowledge, as Rowena has been saying, you know, how do we square the circle in our communications? How do we really give that clarity of expectation? So um, that's what I'm challenging myself with. Hilda. Thank you. There. Thanks, Judith. Um, yeah, just to pick up a few points uh, from previous, uh, I, I think Julia's um, spot on around the ethics issue. 
Uh, and this really is a moment now to obviously engage in, in that discussion, which other colleagues mentioned beforehand. I mean, I think Rowena's point, I think you made it really, you know, which is really fabulous about connecting these uh, issues around integrity and ethics back to the broader uh, social concerns that our students are bringing with them into university. Um, I couldn't agree more, actually. Uh, in the area that I work on, which is uh, is defense policy, military affairs, there's a ton of research on the ethics of AI and the use of AI in warfare because it's endemic in warfare now. Um, and so there's a large body of academic work actually on the on the ethical use of AI. Um, and I'm, I'm sure likewise in health and so forth. So it's a very rich uh, stream that we can tap and we can bring into also our teaching practice. So it's a it's actually an important and good moment for us um, in the university sector to really ponder and think in the broadest sense around the ethics of AI. And it's one of the ways that we as anchor institutions in our societies are going to uh, help shape a positive future for all as we move towards an age of automation. Um, on this issue, and also I think uh, there's a really interesting point which both Rowena and Gisela are talking about around the, the structure that we have in our universities of courses, you know, courses and units. It's very structured how we deliver education uh, um, offerings to our students. Um, so my university, we've got hundreds of courses um, and it's gone up over time, obviously. Uh, we could be at a moment in time where with because of new technologies that are coming on stream, we could be moving to a much more flexible mode of how students package their learning, their learning and their learning journeys. Um, so I would predict in the next few years, we're going to move perhaps to our ex existing structure of hundreds of courses and, and you know, to perhaps a fewer number of courses and a, a technology enabling students to curate their own learning journey. I mean, it's already happening in the private sector and AI is going to power this. So, in fact, we are probably had a moment where we're not only seeing the impact of AI around the around um, how it's uh, helping students access content and with the implications for academic integrity, but AI is probably going to transform um, our future structuring and delivery of, uh, of, of, of education offerings. And in that context, Giselle's point is critical. So the thing that's going to slow us down to leverage technology to provide better opportunities for our students is our bureaucratic structures and our regulation. Partly it's down to our university cultures, partly it's down to external regulations, regulators. Uh, somebody previously in the chat made a really good observation with respect to accrediting bodies around how it's gonna be a lot of cultural work actually and cultural change working with our external regulators and accrediting bodies and in our own university communities to really reimagine the future. You know, can we imagine a future where we empower student choice, we guide but empower student choice, and we liberate students to be able to actually curate their learning journeys to, because the, the bottom line is, there's a whole set of jobs that are coming down the line that right now we can't even imagine, but they're going to happen, you know, so it's, you. we've got a couple of other people whose hands are up, and there are a whole lot of questions that I'm trying to uh, curate. <laughs> fair, fair juice, fair enough. Rowena. Thanks. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree in the long term. I think the, the, at the TEXA conference last year, the student panel was fantastic and all three students on that panel talked about the importance of being able to curate aspects of their own learning in their course for, for getting them where they are today. So, so I completely agree in the long term. Thinking too in the short term, just on that question of how we teach students, one of the things we're encouraging staff at ECU to do is get AI in some form into your marking criteria and assessment rubrics to give yourself an opportunity to give students feedback on their use of it. Um, at ECU, we're following the approach of many other universities where we're acknowledging that students are likely to be trying to use ChatGPT in their assessments this semester, and we're requiring that if they do, they acknowledge it um, through some kind of citation acknowledgement, which we're giving them advice on at the moment. But we keep reminding staff that if a student uses ChatGPT in their assignment and they acknowledge that, it doesn't mean that it's a high-quality assignment. It doesn't mean they have to pass. It might not be academic misconduct, but we have to distinguish between you know, misconduct and, and a passing assignment. So uh, incorporating into your rubrics and marking criteria is a really good way just to start having that conversation with students. So we've got a question here from Deborah. Using an anthropological analogy, students are moving from making potter, pottery by hand to using the pottery wheel. New skills will be needed to use the tool effectively while still understanding the contents of the material used to create the artifact. So what new skills do you think using the tool will be needed to meet the learning outcomes through chat GPT? 
Who wants to take that one up? Julia. Yeah, thanks. I, I think maybe a starting point is just to consider the profound ways in which all kinds of professions are being changed. And I'm thinking of if you were a student in a law school, for example, and it wasn't that many years ago that those students had to graduate being prepared to look through all kinds of case law, synthesize something, come up with a recommendation, and now it can happen instantly. Or, or um, I'm thinking of journalism students or students in, in marketing. Um, that artificial intelligence, um, you know, the internet even prior, I mean, all of this is revolutionizing the workplace and, and what students need to be able to know how to do to be fully competent. So I think we just have to move that back into the universities. And of course, our, our role isn't just to prepare students for, um, for careers, um, but but lives of, of meaning and purpose. And, and so it is a host of things we want them to learn. But I think if, if, if we really can understand how profoundly the workplace is changing and use that, right? I think we're gonna have to engage more effectively with employers and the professions and, and partner with them, um, bringing that into our classes. But I would just wanna reinforce the point several others have made earlier is that I absolutely understand that this has, um, really profound implications for the role of the faculty and the skills they need to have and what do they need to feel confident in. Um, and so I, I think one of the biggest implications of all of this is what do we do to support our faculty to help them continue to develop the skills that they need and also what what needs to happen in our graduate education programs that are preparing the future professoriate um, and that they can then bring bring this into their to their undergraduate classrooms. Um, so I guess I'm just seeing a lot a lot of thinking, collaboration, partnering, um, and skills development going on for all of us. Rowena. I think the, the pottery wheel is a really interesting analogy because I think, you know, for, for students, and I've done one pottery class in my life, um, but the, the, the student's really going to need to learn, you know, what can a pottery wheel help me do more efficiently and more effectively? Uh, and what do I need to continue doing by hand? It, it's, uh, the analogy works in lots of ways. Uh, I think in terms of, um, I, I think students... Um, are really going to need to learn in relation to artificial intelligence and particularly these kind of algorithmic or machine learning tools that generate information, they're going to need to learn in much more depth what's under the hood. So how do those tools work? What information sources do they draw from? Um, how do I know they're credible? You know, they're, they're really going to need to take their those sort of critical information literacies to the next level uh, by really learning how these tools function, because that's an important part of assessing the veracity of what comes out of them, their outputs. Um, I think that they're also going to need to learn to analyse very critically the quality of the outputs, what the outputs do and don't do. So if we think about what ChatGPT can do, um, it's designed, as, as we've said, you know, to basically generate the most statistically likely responses to a prompt. And so um, it's not very good at divergent thinking. It's going to give you the most likely answer. So where do, how can we use ChatGPT as, Chat as a kind of leaping off point for creativity? You know, looking at what did ChatGPT not think of? What's missing? How can we build on what, what's come out of the tool? It's really good at lists and it's really good at summarizing. Um, so what other formats of writing do we need to teach students? I think writing will remain an absolutely vital skill. It's not going away. We need to, to teach students to be powerful writers. Um, when we hear from employers what the number one skill they look for is in graduates, it's communication. And writing is a really powerful tool for getting things done in a workplace. Think about persuasive writing. You know, think about um, the ability to argue, the ability to reassure, the ability to inspire through a piece of writing. You know, um, to, uh, AI tools might get better at doing that over time. 
but students will still need the ability to, to assess the output of any tool against their purpose. What are they trying to achieve with a particular audience in a particular context to solve a particular problem? So it's that thinking of what's under the hood, but also what's coming out of it and, and being able to critically reflect on it and build on it is going to be the key skill set. Giselle. Oh, kia ora. Uh, yeah, look, at very similar response, Ria. I love the pottery analogy. So thank you to the person who volunteered that. Um, I'm going to come back to graduate attributes. So the kind of higher level metacognitive skills that we say that we uh, assess and that we develop in our graduates, you know, leadership, teamwork, you know, all of those things that used to be called soft skills, um, uh, completely erroneously, because they are really the things that make us human. Uh, and going back to that theme of uh, complementarity, um, in regards to the question that was asked, I, I think that's where we should be focusing. So what can the robots do? What can the robots not do? What are the weaknesses or the pitfalls and the limitations of that? What does it mean to be human in the learning enterprise and endeavor? And I'm also struck by, and I'm not a technical person, but I'm struck by the limitations of a tool like ChatGPT. It has a massive database but it is, it is finite. Uh, it cuts off at a certain point in time. And as others have noted, it's, it's generative. It's, it's an algorithm that matches statistically relevant um, uh, facts. It doesn't actually go that next level, one plus one equals three. So, um, you know, I, I think uh, encouraging that skepticism in a healthy way, that's the purpose of education. And I would also add that from an Aotearoa New Zealand perspective, there are huge questions. Uh, about big data, about data sovereignty, about who owns it, about, you know, all of that kind of stuff, the ethics of it, that I don't think we've really touched on as yet, but I think they're big debates uh, that are coming and we must have them. Kilda. Thank you. There's a question here from Aaron Tam, and he's playing the devil's advocate. Will we accept AI as our colleague in the faculty? And if so, how do we train people to work with AI in the future? which takes up the point uh, that you made, Julia, about preparing staff to be able to support students. So who, who wants to, to respond to uh, Aaron's provocation? Giselle. Yeah, kia ora. Yeah, thanks for the question. Terrific question. Um, you know, I, I think in part we've, we've touched on this in, in that, you know, where's the accountability? for it. And I, I think probably there might be a nightmare, nightmare scenario that many academics might be imagining, which is, you know, why don't administrators or leaders just fill the academy with bots? You know, there's a way to climb up the rankings. There's a way to, you know, really be productive. Um, why have teaching assistants when we can have AI bots? Um, I think it comes back to, and I absolutely hope that doesn't happen. That's a total nightmare. I think it comes back to what does it mean to be human and what are those skills that our students need to learn that our researchers value because that's the way they collaborate in research units and, and with industry and in the wider communities um, whom we are here to service. Um, I think it's that human piece that we need to be really sharp about defining and actually narrating and communicating so that the external world outside the university campus understands what we do vis-a-vis -vis the robots and the AI. So I don't think that's going to happen. Um, uh, but I think, again, the onus is on us to communicate. Why not? Julia. Thank you. So I just wanted to pick up on something Giselle said, because I, like, I actually think in terms of academic integrity, so I'm, I'm looking at this thinking AI meets AI, right? Artificial intelligence and academic integrity. That in terms of sort of the temptation to cheat, if you will, I wonder to what extent that might hold more true for faculty than for students. Um, I was reading a piece today uh, that showed that um, it was some finance faculty and by feeding in 200 abstracts from recent um, finance papers, uh, that it was able to produce work that made it through peer review and would have been accepted. And so I think to me, as part of this discussion, we also have to think about how we have assessed faculty and this, the whole sort of 
publication game, I'm going to say that in quotation marks, where it seems to me like the number of publications has started to count more than the quality of the work in some quarters. And I think driven by um, metrics that, you know, ranking universities and, and, and ranking different business schools, for example, I've, I've done some work in that area. I actually think then as well as talking about authentic assessment of students, we might want to consider authentic assessment of the faculty and and really understand the faculty members role in terms of the creation and dissemination of knowledge with impact. Um, I'd like to see faculty rewarded more for working um, in partnership with organizations, contributing to development of policy and improvement of society. There's been a proliferation of, of journals around the world. Um, it, 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 people can't get peer reviewers anymore. There's so much work that needs to be done in that regard. I'm actually quite concerned about the reputation of the academy writ large. Um, in terms of both the work of the faculty and the degrees we confer, so I, I just wanted to throw that in as well. I think I think we've got we've got a lot of thinking to do about publication in general. And I'm afraid our time is up. And what a great statement to finish on. And I think we have our work ahead of us. But the thing that I would really picked up is the intersection of human learning and machine learning and the soft skills that are required to learn in universities is a good starting point. So, so thank you for that, Rowena. At our best, we had a thousand people who um, uh, signed on, which is remarkable. So uh, I'm sure that this will be a topic that we'll be discussing uh, in future. And uh, thank you all. And I wish you all a safe and healthy day. And I'll see you the next Thanks time. Thanks very much.